Hello and welcome to the third episode of Normandy FM. You're listening to the one, the only Mass Effect retrospective that matters out there on the Citadel space waves. I was about to say, I thought you were about to say we were the only ones, and I was like, I don't know that we can make that claim. I don't know if that's true or not. I have now. It's been made. The claim is true. There are no others. We are the only one. We are Victory Royale. Hoorah. I'm Eric Van Allen, you're one of your co-hosts here. Joining me today is Kenneth Shepard, my other co-host. Hi. Ken, we gotta save Liara, because we we're do. not mean. Okay, I'm gonna ask you this first. Was there ever a point when you played this game when you didn't get her first? No. Because, no. well, I I mean, when the game first came out and I was 15, mm. maybe not paying as much of attention as I should have been, I didn't realize that like we were on a rescue mission. I thought that was just like... Because I think they frame it as, like, a person who might be still working with Saren. So I didn't get her into the last mission before Vermeer. So when you do that, she's, like, delirious at that point because she's been in that fucking force field for, like, days. Right. Um, but I guess, like, she somehow manages to survive that. Like, I don't really know how it's, like how often Asari have to eat and drink water. But she she was alive, but she thought I was, like, some kind of an illusion. Now that I think about it, I might have gone to Pharos first mm. before i did this mission and and things about this mission kind of make me wonder what their intended critical path was right. for the game uh which we will get to in a moment because first we got to talk about the the real star of mass effect that shows up for the first time in this episode the mako top oh billing top billing yes it, yeah, right there. It just drops you right in with little tutorial. I have learned, but basically zero <laughs> tutorial. Like, good God! To it, trigger the tutorial, I had to get out of the Mako and get back in it, and it was like, "Oh, you're in the Mako now." And I was like, "Yes, game. Yes, <laughs> I am in the Mako. Please tell me how to use the buttons." And it's like you hit Shift to toggle Zoom, and I'm like, "Why is that a thing?" <laughs> I don't play games on mouse and keyboard so i assume that's bad that's like probably like so here's the the setup for for driving mako okay you got like the w a s d is your uh is is your control Mm -hmm. however the mako does not necessarily always drive in the direction that you are aiming so that's kind of a weird part and also a and d are more kind of don't think of them as uh, lateral movements, but like moving forward on a curve, kind nice. of. It's it's a very weird way of controlling it. And so, but the big one is that your your shift key. So this is like down on your if you're using a mouse and keyboard like a normal person, it's on your left pinky. Uh, that toggles to the slightly zoomed in, then all the way zoomed in, then more zoomed in, then back. So to get to the full zoom that you kind of want to toggle in and out of in this game uh, to hit those faraway targets as the Mako, you have to hit shift like three times. Hmm. And then toggle all the way back out of it and then do it do it again. And, and because the Mako handles so well and never gets caught oh, in any geography, never, never uh you, you never have to toggle out of zoom just to make sure you're not on top of a cliff perched on a rock on top of a house who knows uh and then toggle all the way back in while you're being fired at oh the mako I just, Ken, what do you think about the mako i don't understand why every aspect of moving it is mapped to the stick on like on xbox 360 when mm-hmm. that's not how most cars in any any video game ever works, because like you have an accelerate button, yeah, and and like they, by the time they got they got to Mass Effect Andromeda ten years later, they kind of figured it out because the Nomad I think works really well in that game because it does all of those things, but it's like works better, say better. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I never had any real problems with it. 
but say better. That that's that's a <laughs> that's a game for discussion for another day. But it's it's very strange, just like how much about Mass Effect. It's clear that Bioware had never done before. But it, like, it's also weird how much of it seems like they never played something equivalent before on a different video game that might have had a sense of how to do any of these things, whether mm. it was driving or shooting or being representative of, like, half the population. <laughs> but come to think of it, how many games were really doing this at the time where you were doing all this on-ground stuff, but you also had a vehicle that you could hop into and, and roll around in? I mean, you had the, the battlefields of the world, but for some reason the only one I can think of is Red Faction Guerrilla mm-hmm. is, like, the first that comes to mind. Uh, and And part of it probably also has to do with the fact that Mass Effect 1's general movement still feels a little clunky That's true. compared to conventional standards. I actually, the other day, booted up Dragon Age Inquisition because I kind of felt like starting a new Dragon Age Inquisition playthrough. And uh, while the, I really don't like the PC controls on that either, uh, it's it was kind of interesting to go into that and see like, oh, they... They finessed it a bit more right. from what Mass Effect was. Uh, one thing that has definitely gotten finessed over time since Mass Effect 1 in, in these Bioware games, though, is the combat. And the reason why I mentioned earlier that I'm not sure what they intended to be the critical path for all of this was, is that uh, in some ways this kind of feels like a combat check. It, right. It, it's a little weird. So you start out doing the Mako, and it's it's all this stuff. And really, you rarely have to get out of the Mako uh, at, in the first half of this mission. Uh, and then you get to this part where you get out, and you have to fight a Geth Armature, which you'd previously been shooting up as a Mako. Now you got to fight it on foot. Mm. And boy, howdy, that sucked. That <laughs> like, I thought I was ready for it. I wasn't. <laughs> You get one shot real easily in this game, I've noticed. And it's not just the Geth, it's like, later on in this mission you fight a Krogan, and suddenly, like, I'm, I'm a Vanguard, which is supposed to be spec'd as, like, a tank in this game. Literally, one shot. Like, and that... The thing that makes that so frustrating is this fucking save system they have, where, like... Oh, the like, save system. <laughs> autosave, like, it autosaves ostensibly, but it seems to do it in, like, two to three hour increments. Because, yeah, like, I got... Weird places. I got fucked up by the, the armature, and I'm back at the beginning of the mission. Like, and it, it happened twice, because I, I didn't learn lesson one time, so I guess I had to learn it twice before I remembered. I should save as soon as I get on foot, just so I don't have to do everything I've already done again. And it was, like, a thing I remember, like, distinctly having a problem with and, like, warning people about, like, if I ever, like, let them borrow the game and be like, hey, start, start the series, save every fucking time you get a chance. And I guess so are like you up to like seventy saves now, like I am, where you're just saving seriously? after almost every combat encounter. Wow, I'm a, <laughs> I'm at like twelve right now, but I know like by the end, I was at like ninety or so, usually somewhere around there. I'm a hit hundred probably in this in my playthrough because I'm I'm just so. It, I like you. I was playing the this mission and I got to the armature and it actually wasn't even. The armature I, i'm trying to remember it's right after you get out of the mako and it, there are those rocks that you can only walk through you can't drive the mako through and a shock trooper and two rocket troopers come over the mm. kind of the horizon and both rocket troopers just slammed me with rockets even though i was behind cover don't know how that worked uh and i just died instantly it was like critical mission failure yep. and all that <laughs> it was like reload your save and i was like oh i probably have an auto save right there nope nope start of the mission <laughs> good lord it's like like again there are like so many weird th- it's almost like there are parts of mass effect that feel like nobody played them before the game shipped to like realize that these things would be a problem yeah yeah it's it's really curious and and the combat you know i'm still I'm still liking the mouse and keyboard uh, control configuration a lot, but just the way that you have to constantly tell your teammates to get into cover and yeah. to move away from cover. They don't have intelligent AI. Like They will just die. Yep. You're not commanding them. And that's probably why they 
gave you unity in the first place was they realized like hey there is no way we're stopping these idiots from (laughs) doing dumb things you can prevent it but you're not really going to cure it so let's just give them an ability that lets them resurrect them on like a 10 second cooldown because that's how often you're going to need to be using this thing and then even then like that you can revive them and like you can order them into certain places but they fucking move like Five seconds after you sent them to, like, a certain spot. Yeah, and then sometimes they'll move there. I'll send them to, like, cover or something, and they'll just kind of stand behind mm-hmm. the cover. And won't get, won't cover. get into mm-hmm. cover. Yeah. I, I don't know if it this is just my nostalgia and memories talking that it seemed like that stuff worked a lot better in Mass Effect 2 and 3 where I wasn't having to command them as often. I wasn't having to do that all the time, but... I feel like I didn't have to. You didn't have to hold their hand. You didn't have to babysit them. Right. I mean, you'd still command them and stuff, but it'd right. be more like, hey, use your biotics on this dude or something like right. that. It wouldn't be like, hey, get into cover, idiot. There's mm. people shooting at us, and, and those are bad for your health, your well-being. <laughs> so, so once you get through all the hell of Mako track and... God, that armature. I hated that. And and the little... Not only introduces the armature, but the little dudes that hop around everywhere right. and jam your radar, which are just the worst. Who can also, for some reason, like, two-shot you. <laughs> um, mm. Once you get through all that, you, you get into the dig site, and you finally meet Dr. Liara Tassoni. One of the most plot-critical characters, I would say, outside of shepherd themselves right is because i mean it it doesn't set it up too critically that way but i i was playing back through this and there's some weird stuff with kind of how they set her up and i I don't know if this is just because we've talked a little bit more about how bioware kind of sets you up to uh feel certain ways about characters that we talked about with ashley and kaiden but Kaden? Big Caden, Kaiden, Kaidan. <laughs> it's brother of Kai Lang. Oh. Uh, oh, I can't wait for him to show up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but they kind of set her up as a damsel in distress, which was a little odd considering she does eventually, if you talk to her later, she's like, oh, yeah, I've got biotic powers and I can shoot and I'm I'm a badass and stuff like that. But. Mm. They sort of set her up very early on to be a a damsel in distress, and I thought that was a little odd considering how... I, maybe it's just setting up the turn that comes later mm. in in the series right. uh, as, as we get into Mass Effect 2, but I want to hear what you thought about Liara, because I, I played through a whole playthrough of Liara, you know, in my original playthrough, Liara was my romantic interest easily one of the people i spent the most time with in that game uh alongside garris and tally uh probably one of my favorite characters in the series so it was interesting for me to go back and see that but i want to hear uh your thoughts on her i think similar to the way that we talked about rex tally and garris in the last episode liara's trajectory throughout the series is probably one of the most drastic changes just because like as mm-hmm. like you could say she is a stand threat she's very meek she's not like she's got a lot of like social anxiety and just talking to her seems to be, like, a stressful thing for her to have to deal with. Um, right. I don't... I do agree that Bioware, like, is clearly trying to push you towards that, because, like, she is... Throughout the trilogy, she is basically, like, the poster child of romance and sex in this game, this series. And, uh, as weird as that might seem, given the, her naive nature, she is 100-something years old, so I can only, like... I can only put, like, human perspective on that to a certain extent, um, she is one of the few characters. Like I, I agree that there's, it's there's almost like too much of her to some extent because like logistically, I can tell you like she is one of the only characters in this series that survived to the end no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. Like they they use her as a tool because like they like they use her as like a tool in the story because they know that they can and that they know that there's no way for them to have to like come up with like characters to take on her role because like they, they know she will always be there. Um. I do love Liara a lot. Like, I I think that her trajectory, like I said, it's drastic, but I think that it's one of the most earned as well. I do think that, yeah. like, she, her sort of 
arc and the way that she has this relationship with Shepard, regardless of whether, like, you're necessarily um, open to it or not. Like, she is... Her motivations surrounding Shepard never feel manufactured, despite the fact that, as a character, she, her role is manufactured because she is the one of the only characters that they can reliably have around. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I get why a lot of people would be off-put by Liara, but I do, from a from the perspective as someone who always sees her as a friend, still enjoy her a lot. Um, even when she takes the turns that she does later, specifically in two. So the the thing that I think is really interesting is when you get these squad mates on your ship, and, and this might be skipping ahead a bit for me, but when, when you get them on your ship and, and you can kind of go through all those conversations and, and dialogues where you talk about okay, tell me about your race. I, I am Shepard who has never read a book and <laughs> I have no idea what <laughs> what is going on. Mm. This is all wild, dude. So uh, <laughs> tell me what's up with Asari. Right. Uh, where, the, where the dude Asari at? <laughs> um, and going through her, her dialogue, it is really interesting because she herself is such a contrast to the way that Asari are portrayed right. in the game. Um, and again, this is something we're going to talk about later in this episode, but uh, Asari are very much, like, from the outset, portrayed as a... Uh, very, they understand emotion on, like, a, a higher plane, basically. Like, they're very emotionally aware, and they're spiritual in a way. They they feel the force, however you want to call it. Uh <laughs> But they're also portrayed as uh, political, manipulative, right. uh, sed- seductresses. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with that in some of the side quests that you start to do on the council where uh, you have certain characters. Again, I'm trying not to spoil our <laughs> schedule here, but uh, certain characters kind of trying to sweet talk you into doing things. Uh, and she herself even says there are a lot of misunderstandings about my people just because of the the way we're exoticized and right. and the way that uh, all these humans come over here. They're like, oh, look at all the blue ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's always that accent, but it's, it always is. <laughs> um, so it it's interesting meeting her because like you said, she is this socially anxious character who prefers to be delving into history and mm. spending time with her cats i assume and, and um sitting and watching netflix all about mm. that life but uh and, and yeah as her turn happens later it's interesting to see now because i was kind of like uh liara you, you can't get out of this yourself i know like who you are by the end of this series you're basically an asari commando and you take down like whole platoons and legions by yourself and stuff and it, it was mm-hmm. really really odd to kind of see that but also it sets it up in a way that i wasn't wild about it at first but once i was in dialogue on the ship uh i was like okay this is the liara i know right this is yeah the, more more custom to this so are you, are you gonna hey, since you're playing female oh, shepherd i didn't know if you were gonna change like are oh, you gonna oh yeah yeah okay. oh yeah all right well we'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit later because i have some other topics about that but. Okay. Um, <laughs> um since you brought it up though i do want to jump into one of my like pet peeves i guess with like the perception around mass effect um do we have do we have a sound clip for this is there a special sound effect ken's pet peeves <laughs> well i should try and figure one out actually now that you're saying that um we need so, one the one thing that I want to kind of break the subject with you is about how this this perception that the human squad mates are the least interesting, like throughout the series. Um, perception that's called a reality, my friend. But well, my my follow <laughs> question is like, a lot of characters like Liara, Thane, Morden, Rex, like they have like there's an association with them with their culture and their race. So like, along with talking to them about their general whatever their deal is, like, their arc, you do talk to them about, like, their culture of these other alien species, and do you think that that plays into, like, this perception that humans are the least interesting characters because they don't have this uh, species backstory to also give you alongside their own their own baggage? 
there definitely is an element of there's no exoticism to Ashley or Caden. There's no uh, discovering, oh, this is so cool, like, Koreans are awesome, and I love the idea of the migrant fleet, and this is so cool, and Tally is telling me so much about it, it's so great. When you actually break it down into how much time you spend talking to these characters about their own personal backstories versus their species backstories or their cultural history, it's definitely... It, it definitely skews more towards how much time you spend talking to the human squad mates about those things. Uh, because you can't kind of talk to, to Ashley and Caden about, oh, you know, you were with the Alliance or, or you were doing biotic training. Tell me about that. But even then, it, it ends up skewing more towards their own personal issues mm. rather than the sort of textbook codex history lesson you get from other characters like like Garrus or, or Tally or, or Liara. I actually don't think Garrus has as much regarding the Turians uh, as, as I've been playing because I was kind of wondering even during this episode or during the play for this episode, uh, oh, when are we going to get the info dump on Turians? But that kind of all happens in yeah. the first episode like with, with Nihilus and, and, uh, and, and talking to other characters about Nihilus. So... Uh, yeah, that definitely plays into it. I think the other thing is that the human squad mates are kind of the default. They're the thing. They're the people that are always going to be with Shepard. They can't die, and they're forced to be with you until the end of whatever game you're playing. Now, granted, they can die in whatever game you're playing. In fact, I, I think in all three games they can die, uh, depending on story choices made near the end of the game. But... Uh, they're also kind of intended to be this default and also sort of a yin and yang to each other mm. almost. And even when we get into Mass Effect 2, which is at least right now my current favorite in the series, I was thinking about this the other day because we had a long off the air conversation about Jacob and I was I was kind of asking myself, okay, why do I not like Jacob so much? It was kind of like, oh, his, his story is not that interesting, but really is Miranda's that much better, or am I like imagining mm. things? And when I think about the characters that are human that are interesting to me, it's Zaid and it's uh, Trainer in the third game. All the the non the non main squad non binary. Mm. Um, and by binary, I mean the the kind of the ones that you are given, and, and you are given the male and the female, male piece. human, and the female human, and they are the two squad mates you are forced to have. Um, those are the ones that resonate with me because they end up not being this sort of default uh, shoulder devil and angel that follow you around everywhere, no matter what. And I think that's more of the hang up that a lot of people stumble across, or at least that I stumble across, is that. Ashley and Caden always just kind of serve this role where they're like, you should do this. No, you should do this. These are the two options you can do. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> and uh, so it's, yeah, I think, I think that's a lot of it. But definitely the exoticism and the discovery of new alien races definitely helps. And I mean, I probably wouldn't have spent as much time with Thane if, he wasn't a different alien race if he was just, like, a Turian dude or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I get a lot of that, but I also just think it... I guess it bothers me that there's a sort of reductive view of the way that humans are in this world, that, like, they are, by default, the less interesting characters or, like, the more poorly written. I mean, Jacob, I think, is probably the one of the more... Um, contentious characters for me i like and we can discuss him later when we actually get to mass effect 2 much later much yeah. later <laughs> um yeah. like who's jacob who like everyone wondering who the hell is this dude that we're talking about um but i think that it's like there are aspects to like Caden and ashley that i think go beyond this sort of binary view of them um maybe when like in later games when they branch off more in the way that they sort of perceive the world um I don't know. I, I think, and again, I think it's my, that can be a conversation for another day. But I don't feel like humans should get the bad rap they do. That's, that's just that's just how I feel about it. Let me tell you about the Terra Firma party and how they are putting humans first in a citadel space that doesn't care about them otherwise. 
<laughs> oh, we will get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet La- Liara and you go through this whole... Man, I I barely... I was like, oh yeah, the mining laser. And you have to... Are you supposed to just brute force that thing? Or can you actually find the combination? I feel like every time I've done this mission, I've just brute forced the solution to the mining I laser. I think that's the only way that I've ever done it. I don't know if that's another way to do it, but I don't know like what good it would do. Because, I mean, as far as I know, there's no way to... I mean, the end result is the same. It doesn't take very long, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways... You, you do that, you fight a Krogan dude who's really bad at his job when you think about it, because his whole job is supposed to be like, oh, we're bringing <laughs> Dr. Liara to Sony back for Sarah, and he's like, ah, kill her, bring her back alive, who cares, whatever, let's do yeah. this. And not that great at his job. No. Really, no. he's going to get a poor review from his, well, uh, from his co-workers. He, he dead now, so it doesn't matter. After he gets out of that volcano. <laughs> and then you escape a volcano, which was also just kind of an odd scene. One of those ones where I was like, why Why didn't we play this? Why did we have to uh, watch the escape from this happen? But then I realized that trying to escape a volcano with Mass Effect's Mass, Mass Effect 1's movement mm. controls would be terrible. Imagine yes. if it was on the Mako. <laughs> Good lord. If it was like the end of Halo. Yeah, I was, I was literally going to say like the end of Halo 3. Like, you gotta get out yeah. on that fucking thing. Oh, man. And, and then you're on the Normandy, and you get to talk with everybody, and Liara does something to your mind. And, and you kind of get that first glimpse of what becomes a recurring theme of, here's a Nine Inch Nails music video. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, then you get to talk to the council, and this is, man, I was so tempted to do the disconnect thing, because that's one of my favorite running jokes in Mass Effect, is hanging up on the council. I was really tempted to do it, but I I have devoted my life to Paragon now, so I have to be good. I (laughs) I, am not Rebel. I even didn't hang up with them, and I used to do that all the time, it's just like, I guess this is a... It, it shows how much I've grown in 11 years. It was just like, I I could hang up on you and it'd be funny and Joker and I would get a good laugh out of it, but, like, I might as well talk to you. Like, I, like even if I don't agree with a lot of the ways that you're going about things, you are still technically my bosses, in theory. So, like, what yeah, I'm just like... Is you gotta unionize the specters. Yeah, that's, that's, what has to happen. that's exactly what we gotta do. We gotta fight for some... Representation. Yes. So it it felt like, for me at least, the council reports were always kind of odd because it starts out, it's very much, oh, here's all the red tape, this is what the specters got to deal with, all this judgment from the council, and they kind of nitpick all the things you want to do, and it really kind of almost encourages you to be rude to them and mm. to say no. But then if you get to the end and, and you paragon at the end they're like oh you know what you're, you're doing a good job good you know, good work out there keep doing what you're doing shepherd we got your back <laughs> and that it was kind of weird because it's like oh you're terrible and everything's gone to shit and <laughs> all this stuff yeah. did you really have to blow they... up that prothean dig site and then when you're like hey i'm not doing the the renegade option oh okay good job great great work a plus they, performance they seem very uh disjointed because like they i think this is, like, I guess, looking behind the curtain. I think, regardless of whatever you do, the Turian Council is always supposed to be pissed off. The Sari is supposed to be basically, kind like, the mediator. mediator. Yeah. yeah, and then, like, the Salarian is supposed to kind of be, like, the more neutral. Um, So, like, they're very disjointed, which it's hard to get a real telling of what your feedback is. Like, if you're... And again, because, because it is sort of programmed in a certain way where, like, you're always going to get sort of, like, the bad of what you did, the good of what you did, but everyone's just kind of like you got the job done so it's fine um so i mean maybe it's not even worth listening to so you might as well hang up on them every time yeah i'm i'm wondering i i, I need to need to look into what the alternate dialogues and stuff are for the council because it's just an it, it's an odd thing that that i hope this isn't a spoiler but it doesn't really play much into the other games it was kind of one of the recurring things that they that leave behind in, in mass effect one and uh yeah looking back on it maybe not the most important part of it but we are going to take a short break now where you can hear an ad read from one of our 
friends here, a supporter of Normandy FM, and we will be back in just a moment. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. Imagine this, if you will. You've just sat down with a large cup of gamer fuel, ready to drown out the terrible dialogue in the latest AAA shooter by listening to your favorite podcast instead. But everything has changed. The hosts aren't funny, they have terrible chemistry, and worst of all, they won't take every last opportunity to ridicule the terribly untalented media personalities that dominate the industry. Everything you thought you loved has turned into a constant source of disappointment and dismay. Well, pal... That's not seasonal depression calling, that's just bad taste. For a fresh, fierce podcast experience, experts recommend Game Query. Farm-raised and delivered fresh directly to your ear holes once every few weeks when we actually decide to record. Listeners in Normandy FM are privileged to a special discount code at checkout. Use the code NEVERSTOPSNIPING outside your neighbor's house until they file a restraining order against you, and the official Game Query Twitter account will retweet your court subpoena. Game Query, the official podcast of not being a punk. Download wherever podcasts can be found and give us your money at Patreon slash GameQuery. And follow us on Twitter or some shit, but I don't remember our handle, so you're just going to have to fucking figure that out yourself. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. And we are back. Ken, Mm -hmm. I just chugged my coffee. You know what the worst part of every cup of coffee is? The folders in your cup? No. No, well, actually, I don't like Folgers that much, but it's the bottom of the coffee, man. It's always the worst. It's all watery and stuff, and it's just, ugh. It's not good. Most coffee's not good, coffee to be you Coffee? Need a, you need to get a better <laughs> beverage that's not bitter and gross as fuck. Well, I'm an adult, Ken. I don't know if you have seen Nickelodeon's Doug, but... It's been a while. <laughs> adults drink coffee. It does not taste like chalk. <laughs> coffee is one of the most important things that keeps the ship and the crew of the normandy running see how i segued back into that so clearly look at it was you perfect go. Look at you. perfect so, good. so back on the ship as i've noticed through these episodes you and i kind of take a different pace to talking to uh squad mates post-mission and that's because i think you are extremely eager to play more mass effect after every week's episode (laughs) and uh whereas i i kept uh it's kind of the first thing that i do when i boot up uh mass effect for the next week's episode is that i go do all the the post-mission dialogues because i kind of like to to Mm. ease into it but this time i did take a little bit of time and, and went and did that stuff so that way i would have stuff to talk about here and uh i'm ambushing you oh boy ken I'm ambushing you. Oh no! Because Kaiden needs to cool his jets, man. He needs to calm down. Kaiden? Yeah. Kaidan <laughs> needs to. I'm always going to say it that way, dude. For years, I called Bonavere Bonaver because I am from Texas. Good so, lord. What are they teaching uh, me there? Not a lot. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> There's just, it was weird. My history textbook, there's a big gap between 1861 and 1865 is the weirdest thing. Um, So, anyway, uh, I hope those were the right years. I'm sorry, everybody listening (laughs) who thought they were going to get good educations. Um, Again, this speaks to the education I received in Texas. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is a thing that, I don't think is exclusive to Mass Effect. In fact, I think it's exclusive to maybe not even Bioware, and it's just an issue with games not understanding how to do romance well. And to set this up, I will say that with the one game I think that does romance extremely well, just in general, is the Persona series. And that's because you can do the full social link with a character and then you kind of have this point where they're like hey do you want this to be something more or is this like is there something between us and that's when you can say oh yeah Mm. i want to be dating you or oh let's just be friends and then you have more after that you have more conversation dialogues after that and it, it there isn't this kind of string along with expectations of okay, this is I, I'm going down the romance path, going down the romance path. It's like you're just kind of getting to know this character, and then romance happens as a result because of that. 
There was a talk uh, that was recently published on YouTube from last month's AdventureX 2018 conference where game developer and Ingle Studios co-founder John Ingold, who worked on 80 Days and also worked on several other interactive fiction uh, titles, talked about why dialogue in games is so frequently bad. And a lot of those things also struck out to me as I was, as I was playing through some of these companion dialogues that start to veer down that romance path so the first thing that i immediately noticed is that there are weird conversation branches where okay if i go into talking to a person about one thing i can't pivot to this other thing that was initially available in the first place so i have like options a b and c open and and they might have been hidden like one is kind of a side branch of the main dialogue path and the other one is under the investigate tab which is kind of where they hide all the uh, you could know this but it's not as critical as the main things you want to talk to them about uh and sometimes i would go down and investigate dialogue branch and then it would spit me back out to the main branch and suddenly that that critical option would be gone and i'd have to either restart the dialogue with them or i'd have to go down another branch of dialogue to get them to bring it back up so there is some weird stuff with the dialogue but it also plays into the romance where there's this weird thing where at the end of this first dialogue i had with kaiden where he was you're really gonna you're really gonna come to that aren't you i I, it's my natural pronunciation i'm sorry it's gonna happen for years (laughs) i said compromise I said it like that. I didn't, I said compromise instead of compromise. Good lords. All right. Get, get used to it. Um, I can't believe I just did it when I was trying to give you an example of the right way to say it. I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, he's talking to you and you're talking about his past on the biotic brain camp, which is just the greatest name. It sounds like a Riverdale episode. And... He's telling you about all this stuff, and then at the end, he's like, do you always get this personal with your commanders, Shepard? And and uh, all your responses are, are not dissuading him. It's really weird. It funnels you into romancing. And so that's why, Ken, I want to challenge you to... Have you had the the long dialogues with Ashley? Have you bothered to go do the, the yeah. dialogues yeah. with Ashley? Does it funnel your character at all into that? Where it's like, by the way, Commander. <laughs> uh, there's a the line that I remember. Like she says something like, "You tell me to jump." To, I ask how high. You tell me to kiss a turkey, and I ask which cheek. Yes. Yeah. And then there's like the option to say, "What about me?" And I was like, "Hell no! I'm going to the opposite side of the dialogue wheel." Um, I. I think this plays into a lot of the stuff where, like, it sort of tries to make us... Like, it makes assumptions about you very early on. And I think as it as time has gone on, they've gotten a lot better about that because they have, like, in Dragon Age 2, Inquisition, and Andromeda, they have, like, specifically designated romance options. Like, or dialogue options. Where, like, there's a right. heart. And, like, they... I, I do think, as a series, Mass Effect didn't really do romance well until three um and that's not just me being like that's when they finally put gay romance in but like i think that was when like there was a sort of there's a sort of self-awareness of romance in method one and two as like an achievement or a trophy or like something that like yes yes is complimentary to everything where in sort in like math Effect three uh the dragon age games it is more it, it matters more because it feels like an actual like natural evolution of a relationship um and again we can talk more about that when we get to Mass Effect 3 but um yeah I'd I think on the whole Mass Effect 1 is really shitty when it comes to to romance and I don't know that like and I think Mass Effect 2 is honestly worse but we'll get to that when we get to that too um so yeah like I don't I have no defenses to give it there it's like the way that Mass Effect views sex is very strange and it's very and it's weird because like Dragon Age really isn't that way. So like, I I know like I know they're two mostly different teams. So like I get that there's like gonna be these the differences difference in, in approaches, sort of, yeah, and like just underlying philosophy of how they handle things. But uh, yeah, it's problematic. 
That's the word we're going to use for it. So here's, I'm just going to start this dialogue early because it's something that I think about every time I think about Mass Effect versus Dragon Age for some reason, is that I think about where in the story uh, sex occurs. Right. And basically, in Mass Effect, until the third game, sex with your romance companion tends to be the end game moment. It's kind of the the culmination. And so it really makes you feel like, okay, I've put in all this work and I've been rewarded with this thing uh, in a really odd way. Whereas in Dragon Age, especially Dragon Age Origins has that issue, but more just kind of with the way the plot unfolds. Because... You've played Origins, right? Right. Uh, the whole thing with Morrigan and all that stuff, which is just wild. <laughs> but <laughs> um, now that I'm reflecting on it, but even Dragon Age Two, you usually consummate your relationship, however you want to call it, because of running out of euphemisms, <laughs> um, uh, by the end of like the second act. And like midway through, yeah. And in Dragon Age Inquisition, it can happen halfway through as well, and then you still just kind of have this relationship with this character. Again, going back to Persona, you can get all the way to the highest level of social link and still say, "Hey, you know, I want to spend time with you today." And there will be other dialogues and stuff that you can do that won't tick up that number. But if you want your character to spend time, or you yourself want to spend time with this character. You can do so, and there's extra content and dialogue for that. And Mass Effect, until 3, it was just kind of always this, oh, who are you romancing? Who's your right. who's your trophy, essentially? it's That's yeah. what it, like, and when I say trophy, I mean literal, like, PlayStation trophy, right. <laughs> Xbox achievement. And that has started to show its face in some of the dialogue, especially with kai dan and uh and with other characters i forget i don't think garris is romanceable in this first game but i could be wrong about that yeah um so the only options for a female shepherd are uh kaiden and liara so you kind of start to see see it once um liara joins and it, it made me wonder if it's that's different if you pick her up later if that kind of feud doesn't start because i definitely remember when i played as a straight male shepherd that the ashley liara thing was happening and there's even a little dialogue that you can get Mm -hmm. where if you've been whatever on the romance path with both of them they'll kind of confront you about it it's just like (laughs) that thing i think uh that's the one where you can be like what if all three of us yeah and then and then then the the human Yeah, Which, like to be fair, that's pretty good writing. <laughs> yeah, I just it, it's disappointing because like amongst all the other problems I have with the way that Mass Effect handles sex and representation, like it's just it makes it where like these relationships feel like almost like jokes, like in like an in joke rather than something that's like actually meaningful to either character, Shepard or the person involved. And that's where I like it almost is a relief that I didn't get Caden until Mass Effect 3 because I didn't have to deal with like the relationship being this like cheesy like trophy like you said so yeah I mean I'm I'm glad that they've mostly sorted it out like Andromeda like despite its problems with some of the romances at least it feels like the relationships matter yeah yeah so go around talk to everybody on the ship I'm kind of <laughs> I forget that you don't really spend as much time talking to some characters as I, as I feel like I remembered I did because some of the Garrus conversations are definitely very yeah perfunctory, uh, cursory. It's it's very it, it just it's just touch and go. It feels like you're barely talking to this character who by the end of this series is definitely one of the most memorable and almost dare I say recognizable faces of Mass right. Effect. And I mean that's yeah for sure. Some of that is just because obviously we're seeing the origin story. You know, we right. we're only seeing one end of this, and yeah. there's a lot I, of stuff that happens in two and three. So 
I think that there's like something I've noticed about this is that it's kind of like like Mass Effect 1 is probably like one of the last games well Dragon Age Origins as well probably like there are these games that Bioware wrote these characters without sort of like a real understanding about why people gravitate towards any certain character and like not a lot of these characters have like visual identity that is easily recognizable like you could probably I mean if you show Garrus from Mass Effect 1 people probably know who he is but like versus like the way that they made like his armor like iconic like it has like mm-hmm. recognizable traits um and same with Tally like she like, Garrus and Tally specifically are characters that I don't feel like get their due in Mass Effect 1 because by the time that, like, they got to Mass Effect 2, they were these characters that everyone, like, really gravitated towards, probably more than Bioware ever expected. And that's why they get, like, this more distinguished look, this, um, more realized arcs, specifically Garrus, I think, who is, like we talked about before, he's this sort of, uh, vessel of what is the difference between Paragon and Renegade, but as the games went on, he became more of this kind of, like, the bro, the second-in-command, like, well, not, not literally second-in-command, but, like, this sort of, like, shepherd's conscience. The right-hand man. He's, mm-hmm. yeah, he's the, to use a term because I just recently watched The the Godfather, he is your consigliere. He is the the advisor, the, the guy who's always there on your side, so. Right. Uh, and it's interesting you bring up the look, and again, God, we always cannibalize our future podcasts with future (laughs) discussion but what happens later on in mass effect 2 where you you have you don't have these customizable armors like you do in mass effect 1 where it's just kind of oh you know i've got a new armor for liara or a new armor for rex and now they just kind of had the same armor but it's got like weird digital camo on it or something like that and they have these very defined looks that also change depending on your character arc with them and, dude, let me tell you, I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but one of the most iconic moments in the entire Mass Effect series is meeting Garrus in Mass Effect 2. And yep. when you kind of see him for the first time and he's chilling there with his sniper rifle and mm-hmm. stuff. And he's just yeah. like, took you long enough. And I'm like, oh, man, Garrus is back, baby. I love right. this guy. That was kind of the moment where it was... I. I I feel like even back when I was first playing it, that was the moment where I went from, okay, Garrus is just another member of my squad to, oh man, Garrus is fucking awesome, man. Yeah, it's like, it, by the time it got they got there, it wasn't, they had an understanding of why these characters meant something to anybody. And like, and that's why, that's again why they're, they have like these hero moments, like Garrus has in that, at that point, where right now they are, for, for lack of a better term, they are interchangeable party members with specific stats that's like they're almost like pokemon they yeah. don't have characters yeah. to them they just are stats with abilities um, mass effect let's go uh asari <laughs> and let's go volus <laughs> <laughs> the two the two dynamics the two binaries <laughs> mm. so we get through all the squad updates but something that you brought up uh that we made especially sure to do for this week's episode was to head back to the Citadel because it's, it seems like, and you were mentioning this and I want to say this is about right, but every time you finish a main story mission, more stuff will open up on the Citadel that kind of progresses with the story. And so I went back and I, I went to the Citadel and I did a few of the activities and missions there. I tried, and for listeners at home, this is where I'm going to skew. I won't speak for Ken, but, uh, I'm not crazy about the missions where you land on planets and do mm-hmm. stuff just because a I want to spend as little time in the Mako as possible. Fair, but also, fair. but also because the those end up being kind of not great, and and most of the good side quest content is primarily located on the Citadel and stays on the Citadel. So to start with that, we'll start with the mission that I did in the first episode, actually, or the second episode of this series but ken has only done just now the asari consort which so is I'm gonna tell you, one of the uh, most memorable of this game i want to say because it is maybe one of the most involved but i really want to hear how this went for you so i'll tell you now i broke one of my ground rules for this okay. so uh you tweeted <laughs> i did i did tweet this um so for those that don't know the asari consort is she's her job is nebulous at best, 
but it's she is this woman on the Citadel that people go to for counsel, for just general companionship, and and for fucking. Like this, let's just put that out there. Um, and she's like widely known for just like basically being able to solve all your problems just by being in the room. Uh, so you get to her office, and at first they're like, "Oh, you'll have to wait like four months to see her." And I was like, "Okay, bye." Uh, so, but then she sees you, and then like she has this like sensual motion across the hallway where she's like. Like, the game's clearly framing her to be, like, this object of your desire. And me, my my gay ass is over there, like, rolling my eyes. So, <laughs> I go up there, and immediately she's like, there's some, there's this guy spreading lies about me. And then she starts to, like, graze my face with her hand. And, like, she's like, I, w- I really appreciate it if you go talk to her, or talk to him, and tell him to stop spreading lies about me, because that would just be, like, so cool, and I have so many ways of repaying you. And I, like, at first, because I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm just do it for the podcast I'm like alright I'll go talk to him and then she starts hugging on me like mm-hmm. and I'm like I, I literally we met like 30 seconds ago what are you doing and then so like I sat there for a minute and I'm like not only is this like we already talked about how like Mass Effect hates gay men or Mass Effect 1 does at least 2 does as well but it's like I why is Bioware so horny for the Asari that they thought that that was okay in itself just like to have this person like, there's, like, a massive consent problem here. Like, I have said nothing that indicates that I have any interest in you sexually. I've, like, I asked, I offered to help you out just because that's the thing that Commander Shepard does. He helps out random people, even if it's about weird shit like gene therapy. Uh, and so, like, I, I broke my rule, and I reloaded a save. So I could just be like, no, I'm not helping you because you are making me very uncomfortable. Like... Because, like, that's probably what I would have done in real life if a woman was, like, on me asking for right. my help. I would have been like, hell no, get off of me, bye. And then, like, and she was completely offended by that, like, we will never meet again, Shepard, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, I fucking hope not. Yeah, it's interesting to, to see that, especially now because, again, we've been talking for the last two episodes or whatever, three episodes, about how how the game sort of introduces different races to you for me this was the first major asari character that i met and so to have this sort of situation where it's like okay here's here's an asari let's see how the asari handled are handled in side quest betrayed side quest and she's just immediately like oh you can help me do this thing and Mm -hmm. i'll repay you it's like boy they are really yeah as you mentioned, especially in the first game, especially in the first game, Asari are portrayed as this weird Captain Kirk-esque object of mm-hmm. desire, which they even kind of point out in Liara's dialogue where she says, yeah, a lot of a lot of human dudes are pretty into us because we're just a race of pretty blue ladies. Right. <laughs> and, um, so it, it just kind of feels like this weird double standard where they're presenting a character in one way and then trying to say like oh we're not you know this isn't the way that the characters actually are but we're going to act like this anyways and if you like if you want to like post up somebody as sort of like the subversive character for that thing like you do with liara like i don't know that you can really make this that statement while also having someone who kind of sexually assaults you like I feel, I feel like you don't get a good contrast to any of this until Mass Effect Two. Once you meet Samara, right, and then you actually begin to see, okay, there's what the culture is and, and stuff like that. Even Benezia, who we will talk about later in in this podcast series, even she's not this contrast to anything, and she's really not even much of a character at all. But <laughs> it's, mm. um. But again, we will talk about that later. Uh, it's it's just weird, and yeah. So that was one of the reasons why when I when we were first talking about how all these races are introduced and, and earlier in this episode specifically, uh, it's it's just weird. It's it's the way that they try to have their cake and eat it too with the right. writing, which is maybe one of the things that that bothers me the most about Mass Effect One is is that it's trying to do that thing where it's like, hey, you know. Here's this thing, but also like, oh, hey, we needed a 
pretty lady that was seducing a, a general and stuff so was, uh, sorry that works <laughs> mm. that's what it feels like to me uh one of the other major side quests of the citadel that we both talked about uh before starting this podcast that we wanted to talk about was the earthborn quest right. uh we both picked the earthborn origin story a thing that really doesn't get brought up much in the series except for whatever side quest you get in this game yeah like if if it'll get like mentioned in like broadcasts or uh emails or something but like i think this is probably the only quest you get related to it in the trilogy yeah i I might be misremembering we could stumble across it later it's totally possible that i just don't remember but i feel like this is the the one that i remember from the series is that okay in mass effect one you pick your origin story and then you get one of the side quests for it so we both had the one that had to do with the gang that uh shepherd ran with on earth and man this is some more terra firma ass ashley bullshit (laughs) (laughs) um and i I want to know how you resolved it because I resolved it peacefully. No guns were drawn. I was just like, "Hey, you know, stop being a dick. This is I I am helping humanity, but we can only help humanity by being a part of the global community and not like sequestering ourselves and and hating other races." Right. Uh, how did yours end? So, like I guess like for full context, in the Earthborn origin story, Shepard is previously from a gang. You meet up with one of your old uh, gang buddies, and somebody else has been incarcerated for xenophobic actions. Like the, I, don't, I don't remember if they were specific, but it was like he was. I think attacks. He, he doesn't tell you that straight up. I want to say because the first time I talked to him, he said, "Oh, maybe he had a little bit of red sand in his pocket. Who knows? The Turians, they're going to arrest us for anything, right?" And I was like, "Cool, so I know what you're like already." <laughs> yeah, well. When you actually end up talking to the Turian guard, he tells you that he was, like, being xenophobic. I don't remember if, like, he attacked the Turians or just, like, berating them. Um, and so, like, as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, well, fuck that. You, you do your job, my dude. Fine. And then, so, uh, the other gang member comes around, and he's like, I knew you weren't one of us, so I'm going to tell everybody that Shepard was part of the Red... Oh, no, it's not the Red Suns. That's... Was the Red Suns? Yeah, the Red Suns. That sounds right. Okay. All right. Um, and I was like... I chose the intimidate renegade option there because that's that is my way, and I was like, um, I, I think the the general gist of what he says is like the council needs me, and that's not gonna be enough to stop me. Um, so like the thing I did appreciate about that was as we've been talking about, there's this sort of racist undertone to everything that happens with renegade. So it was nice to have like an opportunity to to subvert that and like still still be renegade, still be the hard ass that's trying to get everything done. Um, but do it in a way that is not sort of uh, racist. <laughs> do it in a way that's not being an asshole. Yeah. A space asshole. <laughs> I, yeah. It, it, we talked about this again offline a little bit. Uh, and I think it's going to be something that we're going to see evolve. But I feel like this series doesn't start to really think of interesting ways to talk about the human race until two and three that's especially fair. especially two actually because that's when things happen and you are actually working for some of the people that uh have were were demonized in this first game and you kind of start to see things from different perspectives that aren't exactly going to change your mind but maybe you get to see where the root of the idea started right. um it becomes less cartoonish in that way. Yeah, and, and the thing I keep thinking about uh, is is the way that Slytherin House in Harry Potter is kind of portrayed in mm. that Slytherin is written as this kind of, you know, they're they're cunning and ambitious and they they're they're loyal to each other and and Slytherins are, you know, very loyal to each other and they want to they're basically Gryffindor and Slytherin are two sides of the same coin, but the way they go about doing that is is, is the difference. And it, they set it up as this interesting dynamic, and then it ends up being like, oh, everybody in Slytherin House is just evil. They're all Death Eaters. Right. <laughs> and that, that kind of feels like the tone of writing here in, in Mass Effect 1 is that you're either this isolationist, 
human specter who's just like oh i only care about humans and we just want humans to rule everything and humans are great or it's the opposite where you're like no aliens need to be a part of everything we do and there there doesn't feel like there's a middle because the contrast they've set up is so binary is so zero or one and it's it just ends up feeling like this pointless sort of point of conflict because you're just like really we're having this discussion again all right yeah it's bad to be xenophobic why do we have to keep having this conversation right and i think that Uh, also plays into the way that they sort of handle paragon and renegade reputation like mm -hmm. throughout the series because like by the time you get a mass like three it doesn't matter if you're more paragon or more renegade you have the options based on just doing things and like being like a presence in the galaxy rather than being a specific presence because like right. i guess i guess they sort of like sell it as like you can be more intimidating because you're known as a renegade where more like by the time it's three you can do either intimidate or charm because you're just kind of known for being able to get shit done regardless of whether like you're on either side of the spectrum also you don't have to put points into it anymore which is the really big thing but <laughs> god bless uh yeah so it's Going back to that, and then there was another side quest I had noted, which isn't really a side quest. You can just do a TV interview with a human reporter who kind of grills you for stuff. And there's also a, a rear admiral. Have you admiral. ever punched her? No, because I think that's kind of dumb. I yeah. Don't think, like, yeah, it's it's kind of... It felt like at the time it was kind of, ha, funny, you can keep punching this reporter, but now in, like, in modern times it's yeah. maybe like oh this isn't great in retrospect <laughs> no and it, it was i was just always surprised that like like the most paragon people that i knew punched her i was like what the fuck why like what yeah he's just you like know, it, her questions are generally fair i mean like they're leading ones for sure but like yeah generally like she's not asking you about anything like that's too much like or especially not worth assault right i did like that there was uh there's an option when she asks you about Saren, where you can be like, I cannot confirm or deny the literally. Yeah, that, and that's I was like, I that is the most accurate uh, thing that has been done in this game so far. That is the most PR response. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have the rear admiral who comes by and he's like, Oh, the Normandy, this is such a waste of the taxpayer's dollar. We could have built a heavy cruiser for this. And, and then you let him walk around and he's like, Oh, you spent all this money and there's aliens all over it. And, and you yeah, have to kind of talk I, him down. So, so you let him into the Normandy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, the second he was like, once they got their paws or tentacles or whatever, I was like, bye, you're not, not, you're not getting on my fucking ship. Yeah. Usually, the the thing about, and maybe this is again for the umpteenth time an issue with the way that dialogue and writing is handled in, in this game, uh, usually when you take stuff like that, especially I notice with Ashley, I know if you take the, um, that was out of line uh, dialogue branch with her, that just completely cuts out any future yeah. dialogue with her, which kind of makes sense, but also I feel like ignores what i think people want out of this game because they they want to be able to have those conversations and just because you have one that that goes incredibly poorly does not mean that you don't want to have future conversations and stuff and so to have i always try to avoid the things that seem like they're going to just permanently cut off a a future quest opportunity or or dialogue opportunity because Mm. i I'm, i'm just like that I like to talk in these games. I like to talk in general, but I like to talk in these games. That's fair. So that's going to do it for this week of Normandy FM. It's been a great week. Kind of a... We ended up talking a lot more, even though we didn't have as much going into this as we've had for other episodes, but I think it's because we're finally getting into some of the the, the nuts and bolts of what this game is. So next week will be Pharos, I believe, is is what's on our schedule. Oh no, we're going to Novaria. Novaria. We're going to Novaria. We're doing Pharos yeah. last. Well, yeah, because it's like the dumb, pointless one that we're trying to hold off as long as possible. Hey, hey, hey. I mean, you're not I, wrong, but it's like literally, I just, like <laughs> none of this shit matters in the next two games. So true, true. So we are going to Novaria next week, where we will have another couple stat checks waiting for us and no doubt. No doubt. we can start to get into some of the uh 
more story beats. I, I'm actually kind of happy now that we're doing Novaria next because it means we get to talk about some other characters that we haven't talked about yet that mm-hmm. I personally have issues with. So and probably the first really big choice of the series too. Arguably, <laughs> it's it seemed like it was the first big choice when when we played this game. Fair maybe, enough. Maybe later Fair on, enough. consequences of this choice do not pan out like you would expect them to. <laughs> We will, as always, get to that later on Normandy (laughs) FM. Thank you for tuning in. Have a good week. Play the game. As always, keep flying. I I tried to end it with a tagline, can I? Couldn't I? I tried to do that on my feet, and I just couldn't do it. We'll be here. Flying ship.